Amen. Amen. All right. You ready for your quiz? All right, here we go. All right. You know, I'm a school teacher. All right. So here we go. Chapter one comes with a special what? Blessing that no other book offers. Right. And uh, so, yeah, chapter one comes with that special blessing. And uh, that's one point. Good job. Okay. Uh, that blessing, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Alrighty. Okay. Number two, chapter one describes John's vision of Christ. There we go. Nice. Okay. So, you know, the whole idea with this is that I want you to be able to look back and say, okay, chapter one was this, two and three was this. Four was this, five was this, six was this, seven was this. We're going to go all the way through. And I'm sorry to tell you, but there's 277 questions on the final exam. Okay? <laughs> but, but you get the idea. It, it, uh, it's pretty straightforward. Okay, you ready? Chapter 2 and 3 include the seven... What do we tell the church? Seven letters to the seven... Let's try that again. Chapter 2 and 3 include the seven... To the seven... There you go. Seven letters to the seven churches. Okay. All right. Here comes a hard one. Churches in order. All right. Ready? So what does that E stand for? Ephesus. Ephesus. Good. All right. How about the S? We're all uh, Smyrna. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Smyrna. Okay. And uh, the P? Pergamus. All right. Remember ESP, TSP, and then an L. Right? And so we have the ESP. So the next T, what's the next T? Thyatira. And then the S is the other S, yeah. And the P would be our church, yeah, of course. And, uh, and then the L was Laodicea, all right? So be sure you have those down in order, okay? All right, uh, spelling counts. Watch that, okay? All right, the location of chapter 4 was the blank room of God. Throne room, yeah, throne room. That was, I love that chapter. There, John saw 24... Elders, and they represented the 12 Old Testament patriarchs and the 12 New Testament apostles. Um, combining all 24 elders, there is a representation of all God's... I added this one in. We didn't do this one. Yeah, all right. This, the combination of those 24 elders represented all of God's people. Okay, so that's all of us. The harpazo, when Jesus calls his people to come up hither, is also known as the what? Yeah, that's right. All right, nice. John also saw four living... Oh, that was an easy one. All right. The focus of chapter 5 was the scroll with seven seals. Wow, I can't get anything past you. Chapter 6, we saw the first seals opened and the first four seals released a colored horse yeah, and a specific rider, right? So when the first seal opened, riding the, high, the white horse was who? Yeah, it wasn't Jesus. I mean, a lot of people look at that and say, oh yeah, white horse, it must be Jesus. Oh no, no, it's the Antichrist. It's the wannabe, right? The second seal opened, the red horse rider was? Red horse rider was? War. Okay. All right, we're going to go back. Okay, right? When the first seal opened, riding the white horse was? Antichrist. When the second seal opened, the red horse rider was? War. When the third seal opened, the black horse rider was. Remember, because of the war, we ran out of food. We call that a famine. All right. And then, with the fourth seal open, the ugly green horse rider was 
death. That's right. We also learn that Revelation chapter 6 through 19 is essentially an elaboration of the great tribulation. Okay. This is described during the 70th week of Daniel found at the end of chapter end of chapter 9. Chapter 9, okay? We'll do that again. All right. This is described during the 70th week of Daniel found at the end of chapter 9. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, during the first half of the 70th week, there will be a false peace. Ooh, I heard that. Good. Yeah, so there's a false peace. And this peace is orchestrated by the Antichrist. And after three and a half years, he sets himself up to be what? God or worshipped. Yeah, that's what he wants, right? And so after three and a half years, he sets himself up to be worshipped. And literally, all H-E double hockey sticks breaks loose on earth. Literally. Then after the fifth seal under the altar, John saw the what? The martyrs clothed in white robes. And then finally, the sixth seal, there were catastrophic judgments, including a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. And then the moon became like blood. And the... Stars, good, fell to the earth as fig tree drops its late figs. Nicely done. Give yourselves a hand. Okay. All right. You'll see those again. All right. All righty. Yes. Okay. Um, It's important to recognize that the book of Revelation is designed in a heptatic structure. Heptatic. Heptatic means that the book is designed around a specific number. And what would that number be? Seven. seven. Excellent, Bible scholars. We got that. Yeah, heptatic is seven. And, and that um, you're going to notice that we saw the opening of the first six seals, right? And then we take a break. And that's what we're going to look at today. So the first six seals are broken. And then there's a break before the seventh. And then the, the six trumpets come out. And then there's a break before the seventh. And then when the seventh trumpet blows... Then the bowls come out and there'll be six bowls and then a break and then the seventh. Okay, so after the six seals, trumpets or bowls, there's it's like a pause. So we press pause on on the storyline that John's telling us. And so that's where we're that's where we are tonight is we're looking in chapter seven. We're looking at a at a pause in time or in a a pause in the story. Um, the seventh uh, seal will open. Uh, it'll open the seven trumpets, and then we're going to see after the six trumpets that there's a longer pause. In fact, chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 are all part of that pause. Alrighty? A lot of people, they, they read through this and say, wow, this book of Revelation, it makes no sense. Well, that's because they're not looking at the architecture, and that's, that's what we're seeing here. Um, during that long parenthesis, chapters 10 through 14, we're going to look at other topics, including Babylon and specifically what's happening in Israel. And then the seventh trumpet reveals the seven bowls. Between the sixth and seventh bowl, there's a quick pause, and, and we'll get into that when we get there. But understand that heptatic structure. Six, break, seventh. Six, break, seventh. Six, break, seventh. Does that make sense? Okay. A couple weeks ago, we finished chapter 6 with verses 15 through 17. And it says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, 
Every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Verse 17, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So that's the, that's the, the name of tonight's passage is, is who is able to stand. And, and the best news is, is that we can. We can stand. Because God has not appointed us to wrath, but unto salvation, we'll be standing in heaven. Um, we're not the only ones, though. In chapter 7, we're going to see who else is standing. So please turn to Revelation chapter 7 in your Bibles, and let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this evening and the opportunity to study your word. We ask, Father, that as we begin to learn about what will come of those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, this will only fuel our passion of sharing your love with others. And that as we learn more about your word, that we would be more and more confident uh, of your truths. Father, we just thank you for this time. We invite you here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alrighty, tonight, chapter 7. And after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Verse 5, Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Ishakar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came, who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Amen. Amen. Alrighty, let's jump in. Revelation 7, verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Now, the phrase four corners of the earth, it, 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 it's, uh, if you've ever seen a compass rose, a compass rose is, is all of the directions of the compass, the, the four main ones, north, south, east, and west. And so really the idea here is that the angels will affect the entire earth. And, uh, and, and you know, there, there's, been, there's been talk, oh yeah, you know, that's, you can always tell that the Bible isn't true because it talks about it talks about four corners of the earth, and everybody knows that there's not four corners of the earth, but really the intent is that uh, the angels will affect the entire earth. In, in terms of the wind, throughout Scripture, winds are a destructive force of God's judgment. And uh, Hosea 13:15 gives an example. It says, Though he is fruitful among his brethren, an east wind shall come, and the wind of the Lord shall come from the wilderness. Then his spring will become dry, and his fountain shall be dried up. Um, the implication here is that the judgment of God is it's, it's impending and that prior to the, all this going down, God wants to set apart and protect his servants. All right? this, is, this, is, this is getting close. And, uh, but you know what? God loves us and God loves his people. And there are many precedents in Scripture for such a protection uh, of God's own people. So, for example, when God sent the flood upon the earth, he separated Noah and his family from the rest of the human race, and, and the flood didn't affect them. When God destroyed Jericho, he protected Rahab and her, husband, and her household, and, and, and nothing, uh, you know, nothing detrimental happened to them. God loves his people. And, and in a similar way, in the time of the Great Tribulation, protection is going to be given to this group of 144,000 Israelites. This matter is so important to God that he names the tribes and the number to be saved from each. I, you know, I don't believe that Jews at this point know their lineage to the point of what tribe they're from. I believe the genealogies have been um, have disappeared, and and so they don't know, but God knows, right? And guess what? In Revelation 14, we read that every single one of them, all 144,000, they survived the tribulation to stand with the Lord. That's that's not a surprise. God loves his people. Verse 2, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So we see four angels and a fifth ascending from the east, and this this uh, this fifth angel, he has a seal. Now I don't know if it, you know, it does, is it a rubber stamp? I don't know. I, it, it's kind of fun to think about. But we do know that he seals the 144,000, the servants uh, of of God that we're going to read about, and and these servants of God, they're going to re- they're going to receive this protective seal on their forehead. It contains God's name somehow in some manner. Revelation 14.1 describes the 144,000 as having the name of God on their foreheads. So it's kind of fun to think about. You know, it's like, uh, will people be able to see that seal? Will uh, other 
folks that have the seal be able to see the seal or those that don't have the seal, they're going to be able to see the seal? I don't know, but it's kind of fun to mull around. But we do know that the 144,000 are sealed servants. We're not exactly sure of of what their service is, but we know that they're sealed for specific and, and unique purpose. The whole idea of being sealed is not just limited to these servants. This isn't the first time we see people being sealed. In fact, Jesus was sealed. In John 6.27 reads, God the Father has sent his seal. Oh, wait. No, not wait. (laughs) Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. We as Christians are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that, that seal is a down payment of our eventual total redemption. And Second Corinthians, Paul wrote there, he says, Now, oh, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Oops. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God and who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the the sealing of the Holy Spirit belongs to every believer when you're saved. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now the Holy Spirit, um, is, is <laughs> it can be a comfort and it can be a challenge. Right? He can comfort us and he can challenges us. We're comforted in Him that uh, He assures that we belong to Him. And we know that. We're also challenged by Him to depart from all evil and identify ourselves with the one that we belong to. And so that's, that, that's the challenging part of the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having the seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ Depart from iniquity. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So uh, our Holy Spirit can be a comfort and a challenge, but it's both that we should welcome. Now the question has always been asked, will anyone be saved after the rapture? And we learn tonight with the scriptures clearly indicating a, a resounding yes and that a great multitude of both Jews and Gentiles will trust the Lord after the church is called up hither. Right? I can imagine the conversations that will happen. You know, it's like the rapture happens, the Christians are gone, and you know, people are going to turn and say, Oh, you remember what Mario taught us about end times? You know, we should have listened to him. <laughs> we probably should find out what's going to happen next. Right? So... Um, but after the church is taken away, immediately a testimony will be raised up to, na- to the name of Christ through new converts among Jews and Gentiles. So there, there will be those that are saved afterwards. But who's going to raise that testimony and who's going to be the missionaries to the world? So let's keep reading. Verse 4, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And so we went through and we, we read the, the 12 tribes, and there were 12,000 of each. And so that's our 144,000. And so um, 
only God knows, you know, their tribal ancestry. Uh, but we do know that there are 12,000 from each from each uh, tribe. Um, the tribes are listed in Scripture over 29 times. So through Scripture, 29 times the, the tribes, the names of the tribes are listed. And, and many times the lists are different or they'll be in different orders. And the, there's lots of reasons for that. But one of the, uh, one of the issues is that uh, the tribe of Dan is left out, and especially here in Revelation 7. And the question is, is you know, why, why is Dan, the tribe of Dan, left out? And some scholars think it's because Dan was the tribe in which idolatry was introduced into the nation of Israel. Okay? Uh, in God's eyes, that's a no-no. Right? God specifically says in Deuteronomy 29 that any tribe involved in idolatry would be separated out from the remaining tribes of Israel. And that's exactly what happened to Dan. Uh, when they came into the promised land, the people of Dan were given this coastal territory, you know, at the beach, but they weren't happy. Um, they soon migrated north in search of a new land, and they finally settled above the Sea of Galilee, but they ended up settling into the close proximity of some pagan groups. And guess who influenced who? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the tribe of Dan, they blew it. But a little spoiler alert here. Just know that there's a wonderful redemption for the tribe of Dan. When the Lord comes back and establishes his kingdom in Israel, guess who the first tribe given their allotment? Yeah, yeah, the tribe of Dan. It's the first tribe listed in Ezekiel's millennial roll call of the tribes in Ezekiel 48. So, once again, our God is so full of grace, forgiveness, and mercy. He's, he's amazing. So what do we know about these 144,000? Um, we get some facts from the 140, about the 144,000 from both Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. Uh, they are called the children of Israel in Revelation 7:4. Their tribal affiliation is specific. They are protected and triumphant through the period of God's wrath. Uh, they meet with Jesus at Mount Zion at his return in Revelation 14:1. They are celibate. They are the beginning of a greater harvest, and they are marked by integrity and faithfulness. Uh, I believe that the 144,000 are specifically chosen Jewish believers in Jesus that are protected, protectively sealed throughout the tribulation as a sign. In other words, they continue to be the remnant. And as they are the great tribulation missionaries, and through them, the multitudes that we're going to read about uh, come to the Lord but I'm getting ahead of myself. We do know that the 144,000 are not part of the church proper, like, like our church body, um, for their repentance comes too late for that. Um, they are kind of a super addition to the church, like a supplemental body that they're still near and precious to Christ, but they're made up after the proper church has finished its course and had been taken up hither, right? Now, many groups claim to be the 144,000. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are one, even though they had to change their stance just a little bit when their group grew to more than 144,000. Okay? All right, you're 144,001. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, historically, Mormonism has also claimed to be the 144,000 
Ellen G. White and the Seventh-day Adventists claim to be the 144,000. Garnot Ted Armstrong and his Worldwide Church of God claim to be the 144,000. So there are, there are lots of, of, of claimants, but the way I see it, it, it's pretty clear who they are. And, and it's interesting, they're servants. Okay? I'd rather be part of the elders, right? in, in, in my view. Verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So the diversity of the multitude here is evidence that the Great Commission will be fulfilled before the end. Um, even as Jesus promised in Matthew 24. Uh, the command to preach the gospel to every nation throughout the world will have its ultimate fulfillment right here in this way before Christ comes back to establish his millennial reign. When we read about palm branches, it reminds us of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Remember that 173,880 days after the command to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, including the walls? You remember that in, that, in, in Daniel 9. And, uh, and, and so it's at this time Jesus was also praised as Savior and King. So that's those palm branches. Just bring that back to mind. Verse 11. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders of the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So as the great multitude worships God, the others in heaven are compelled to join their, their voices in praise, right? The, the, the multitudes are there and they start praising God and, and the elders and the four living creatures, they just want to join in. Um, they, you know, I, I think that uh, with the addition of the multitudes, I think it's going to be really easy to fall in love with God even deeper. For him, for you to see him adding the multitudes. Okay? Uh, I, think, uh, I think it's going to be easy to love God even more. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where do they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who came are come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's important that John know the identity of this great multitude, but he didn't know who that he should ask. Right? It's like he didn't recognize anybody. And so one of the elders prompts him to ask. He says, uh, hey, <laughs> who are these guys? Right? And, uh, and John says, sir, you know. And, and I just think it's so cool that one of the elders prompted him to ask. I, I love that, that you know, the elder didn't wait for an answer. And, and he, 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 he just kind of threw it out there, even though no one was asking. And that's what an elder or a mature brother or sister in the Lord should do. They should initiate spiritual discussions. It should be an, an easy opening to, to talk about spiritual things. Especially as parents, be sure to initiate spiritual discussions with your kids. It's important to know what they're thinking and where they're at. And, uh, you know, it begins an amazing question and answer session that can last a lifetime. So uh, raise those spiritual questions. Ask, 
have those spiritual discussions. Uh, this vast multitude of people from every tribe and tongue and nation are those that were rescued for God's kingdom in the period of what we would call the Great Tribulation, but John didn't recognize them. In chapters 4 and 5, remember, he recognized the church, but here he didn't recognize the tribulation saints. Uh, the presence of so many saints is a powerful statement of God's grace and mercy. Even in this time of judgment and wrath on the earth, uh, many, many are still saved. Now, because the great multitude are mentioned right after the 144,000, many scholars believe, uh, at least in part, due to the work of these 144,000 servants of God, perhaps they're the evangelists. They're the missionaries. They're the ones that help reap the huge harvest for the kingdom during this great tribulation. This verse talks about uh, being made white by the blood of the, by the, by the, blood of the Lamb. And, and that's an interesting, interesting phrase. Uh, we don't think of things being made white by blood. Okay? Usually it's quite the opposite. As, as a kid, I, I always had Band-Aids on. And I was always cut and scraped. And my mom had to work hard to get those blood stains out of my clothes. Right? And so usually it's, it, it's, it's the opposite. Um, did you know that a newborn baby just has just about a cup of blood in his body? I thought that was kind of cool. Okay, I don't know what you're going to do with that, but I just... <laughs> I did learn that people have four different blood types. A, AB, B, and O. I did learn that cows have over 800 blood types. Dogs have four. Cats have 11. I was going to make a cat comment, but I won't. Um, interesting, mosquitoes prefer type O. That explains this. Oh. <laughs> no. But you know what? Jesus has a special type of blood, doesn't he? Jesus' blood cleanses us, and he makes us white as snow. Isaiah 1.18 reads, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, as you read through the scriptures, they often speak of blood as the symbol of life. Leviticus 17.14 says, The life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Um, the spiritual significance of shed blood is huge. Um, in both Old and New Testament, according to Hebrews 9.22, uh, without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. According to Acts 20.28, 20, the church has been purchased by the blood of Christ. I love that we were singing about the blood of Jesus just today. There are lots of churches that don't want to talk about the blood. It's too gross, right? The whole idea of, of a sacrifice, of, a, uh, of, of blood, I mean... Um, it, it's they, they don't want to touch it. But uh, I'm glad that we understand that uh, Jesus' blood makes us white as snow. Verse 15, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. So in heaven, the redeemed enjoy the immediate presence of God. They can come right into the throne room 
and be with God. There's no barriers. There's no barbed wire. There's no waiting list. They're just there. In heaven, in heaven, the redeemed serve God. And we don't know exactly how. We don't know what they do. But from this passage, we learn that heaven is not only a place of rest from earthly toil, but a place of privileged service. And that's what uh, these, these folks get to do. In heaven, God will dwell with his people. And this is the ultimate fulfillment of one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 27. It says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When verse 16 mentions that they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore and the sun shall not strike them nor any heat, I was trying to think through why would John write this? And if you think where these folks came from, it's like this may be a reference to some of the sufferings that they endured during the tribulation. Uh, according to Revelation 13:17, it may be a, that they had gone hungry or thirsty rather than buying food and submitting to the worship of the beast and getting the mark and, and all of those pieces. So these are some, some of the suffering points that uh, they, they may have had to endure. Verse 17, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So in heaven the redeemed will know no more sorrow or no more pain. Uh, the hurt and struggle of the earthly life that they were just endured are gone and tears are a thing of the past because God's going to wipe away every one of those tears. And, you know, when you think about, you know, the tender love of God, um, you know, like a, a mother's loving hand brushing away the tears from a child's face, it's that, that nurturing part of God. Um, God loves us with that, uh, that kind of nurturing care. So chapter 7 of the book of Revelation takes a pause. It's like parentheses, and it serves as a review of the situation described in chapter 6, and that it emphasizes two facts. And God's going to judge, well, the first is that God's going to judge Israel, and 12,000 from each tribe, totaling 144,000, will be protected and sealed from the judgments, which will fall upon the world. Um, Secondly, a great multitude of Gentiles will also be saved, but many of these will be martyred, and the multitude of the martyred dead are found in heaven rejoicing in the presence of the Lamb and representing every tongue and nation. You think there'll be some questions from chapter 7? Yeah. So it is an indication that even the traffic closing time period prior to the second coming of Christ, countless souls will find Christ as Savior and will be saved by His grace. Amen? Amen. I have a challenge for you. My challenge for you for this week, first thing, recognizing that just as the 144,000 were sealed with the Holy Spirit, we are challenged by Him to depart from all evil. Um, This week, ask the Lord to search your heart and mind. And just like David prays in Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me. And then he asked, and lead me in the way everlasting. So make that your prayer this week. Secondly, pray specifically asking the Lord to show you where and how you can, you can serve. 
and be on the lookout for those ministry opportunities. And you know the one that's for you is going to be in neon. You're going to see it. It's going to be bright. All right? Jesus said in Matthew 11:28:30, 30, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you personally don't have the assurance of eternal life in heaven with Jesus, and you would like to swap burdens with him, uh, come chat after service. I'd love to make the introductions. Alrighty, let's pray. Father God, we do love you, and we thank you for this evening of studying your word. We continue to ask for guidance for this church, Father. We continue to call to you, and we look forward to hearing you answer and to show us great and mighty things which we do not know. Father, this week I ask that you would touch those that are hurting physically and spiritually, financially, Father. There's um, a lot going on, and we just lift our body. We just lift uh, this group of, of God's people to you. So we love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.